Hello, this is Father John, Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our ninth program presenting man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. Five years of conferences given by Pope John Paul II between September of 1979 and November of 1984. We're basing these presentations on the edition by Professor Michael Waldstein. Following the narrative of Genesis, we observed that the definitive creation of man consists in the creation of the unity of two beings. Their unity denotes, above all, the identity of human nature, duality. On the other hand, shows what on the basis of this identity constitutes the masculinity and femininity of created man. This ontological dimension of unity and duality has at the same time an axiological meaning. From the text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 23 and the whole context, it is clear that man has been created as a particular value before God. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. But also as a particular value for man himself. First, because he is man. Second, because the woman is for the man, and vice versa, the man for the woman. While Genesis 1 expresses this value in a purely theological and indirectly metaphysical form, Genesis 2, by contrast, reveals, so to speak, the first circle of experience lived by man as a value. This experience is inscribed already in the meaning of original solitude, and then in the whole account of the creation of man as male and female. The concise text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 23, which contains the words of the first man on seeing the newly created woman taken from him, can be considered the biblical prototype of the Song of Songs. In addition, if it is possible to read impressions and emotions through such remote words, one could even venture to say that the depth and power of this first and original emotion of the man before the humanity of the woman and at the same time before the femininity of the other human being seems something unique and unrepeatable, communion of persons. In this way, the meaning of man's original unity through masculinity and femininity expresses itself in an overcoming of the frontier of solitude, and at the same time as an affirmation for both human beings of everything in solitude that constitutes man. In the biblical account, solitude is the way that leads to the unity that we can define following Vatican II as communio personarum. As we observed before, in his original solitude, man reaches personal consciousness in the process of distinction from all living beings, animalia, and at the same time, in this solitude, 
he opens himself toward a being akin to himself, defined by Genesis as a help similar to himself. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and 20. This opening is no less decisive for man as a person. In fact, it is perhaps more decisive than the distinction itself. The man's solitude in the Yahwist's account presents itself to us not only as the first discovery of the characteristic transcendence proper to the person, but also as the discovery of an adequate relation to the person, and thus as opening toward and waiting for a communion of persons. One could also use the term community here if it were not so generic and did not have so many meanings. Communio says more and with greater precision because it indicates precisely the help that derives in some way from the very fact of existing as a person beside a person. In the biblical account, this fact becomes eo ipso, through itself, existence of the person for the person, given that in his original solitude, man existed in some way already in this relation. This is <coughs> confirmed in a negative sense precisely by his solitude. In addition, the communion of persons could form itself only on the basis of a double solitude of the man and the woman, or as an encounter in their distinction from the world of living beings, animalia, which gave to both the possibility of being and existing in a particular reciprocity. The concept of help also expresses this reciprocity in existence, which no other living being could have ensured. Indispensable for this solitude was everything that was constitutive in providing the foundation for the solitude of each, and thus also self-knowledge and self-determination, that is, subjectivity, and the awareness of the meaning of one's own body. The account of the creation of man in Genesis 1 affirms from the beginning and directly that man was created in the image of God inasmuch as he is male and female. The account in Genesis 2, by contrast, does not speak of the image of God, but reveals in the manner proper to it that the complete and definitive creation of man, subject first to the experience of original solitude, expresses itself in giving life to the communio personarum that man and woman form. In this way, the Yahwist account agrees with the content of the first account. If vice versa, we want to retrieve also from the account of the Yahwist text the concept of image of God, we can deduce that man became the image of God not only through his own humanity, but also through the communion of persons which man and woman form from the beginning. 
The function of the image is that of mirroring the one who is the model, of reproducing its own prototype. Man becomes an image of God, not so much in the moment of solitude as in the moment of communion. He is, in fact, from the beginning, not only an image in which the solitude of one person who rules the world mirrors itself, but also, and essentially, the image of an inscrutable divine communion of persons. In this way, the second account could also prepare for understanding the Trinitarian concept of the image of God, even if image appears only in the first account. This is obviously not without significance for the theology of the body, but constitutes perhaps the deepest theological aspect of everything one can say about man. In the mystery of creation, on the basis of the original and constitutive solitude of his being, man has been endowed with a deep unity between what is humanly and through the body, male in him, and what is equally humanly and through the body female in him. On all this, right from the beginning, the blessing of fruitfulness descended, linked with human procreation. See Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Flesh from my flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. In this way, we find ourselves within the very bone marrow of the anthropological reality that has the name body. The words of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 speak about this directly and for the first time in the following terms flesh from my flesh, and bone from my bones. The man speaks these words as if it were only at the sight of the woman that he could identify and call by name that which makes them in a visible way similar, the one to the other, and at the same time that in which humanity is manifested. In the light of the earlier analysis of all the bodies man came in contact with and conceptually defined, giving them their names, Animalia, the expression flesh from my flesh takes on precisely this meaning, the body reveals man. This concise formula already contains all that human science will ever be able to say about the structure of the body as an organism, about its vitality, about its particular sexual physiology, etc. In this first expression of the man, flesh from my flesh, contains also a reference to that by which the body is authentically human, and thus to that which determines man as a person, that is, as a being that is also in all its bodiliness, similar to God. We find ourselves, therefore, within the very bone marrow of the anthropological reality whose name is body, human body. Yet, as can easily be observed, this marrow is not only anthropological, but also essentially theological. The theology of the body, which is linked from the beginning 
with the creation of man in the image of God becomes in some way also a theology of sex, or rather a theology of masculinity and femininity, which has its point of departure here in Genesis. The original meaning of unity, to which the words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 bear witness, was to have a broad and far-reaching perspective in God's revelation. This unity through the body, and the two will be one flesh, possesses a multiform dimension, an ethical dimension as is confirmed by Christ's response to the Pharisees in Matthew 19, see also Mark 10, and also a sacramental dimension, strictly theological, as confirmed by the words of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, that likewise refer to the tradition of the prophets, Hosea, Isaiah, Ezekiel. And this is so because the unity that is realized through the body indicates from the beginning not only the body but also the incarnate communion of persons, communio personarum, and requires this communion right from the beginning. Masculinity and femininity express the twofold aspect of man's somatic constitution. This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones. And indicate, in addition, through the same words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 23, the new consciousness of the meaning of one's body. This meaning, one can say, consists in reciprocal enrichment. Precisely this consciousness through which humanity forms itself anew as a communion of persons seems to constitute the layer in the account of the creation of man and in the revelation of the body contained in it that is deeper than the somatic structure as male and female. In any case, this structure is presented from the beginning with a deep consciousness of human bodiliness and sexuality, and this establishes an inalienable norm for the understanding of man on the theological plane. With these words, the Holy Father concludes his ninth presentation on the theology of the body, male and female, he created them. It's important for us to remember the context of these talks, the Wednesday audiences, this is the ninth presentation. In this first part of three parts, Christ appeals to the beginning, the meaning of original unity. Today's reading includes the conclusion of dimensions of homogeneity and then wraps up two passages, communion of persons and flesh from my flesh. The unity of two beings, the being of Adam, the being of Eve their unity in their original marriage, the original couple, holy marriage in our own day, a unity of two beings. The unity of God is a unity of three persons, but one being. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, not three gods, but one God. Whereas the husband and wife, this man and that woman, are two beings who in holy marriage become one, 
the mystery of marriage, magnum sacramentum, as St. Paul writes, inspired by God. And the Holy Father will get there eventually. He's now in these early talks, in these beginning talks, is setting the foundation, is setting the groundwork, a unity of two beings, this man and that woman, this husband, this wife, till death do they part. A unity realized through the body, not a haphazard union, but a union which fits. Our being is corporeal and spiritual. We're body-soul composite. So a meeting of the minds, a meeting of the hearts, yes. But even in shaking hands and greeting one another, there is a unity realized through the body, all the more so in the nuptial embrace. Our human nature is a manifestation of this unity of the race, original unity based on the original solitude. Adam sees himself recognizing he is unlike all the other creatures. Together, Adam and Eve, they recognize that they are unlike any of the other creatures. This is the original solitude, and they recognize in each other a help fit for each other. This is the original unity, the unity intended by the Creator, not just for the original couple, but for all people, all times, all places. This is our nature, realized in the body, but our duality is based on our identity, identity as male and female, identity as masculine and feminine. This is a complementarity, a complementary duality, this man for this woman, this woman for this man. Masculinity and femininity overcome the frontier of solitude. Adam recognized he was alone in the world, together with the first woman, the mother of all the living. They recognized themselves as unlike any of the other creatures, birds of the air, fish of the sea, beasts of the field. They recognize they're made for each other, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, masculinity and femininity. This man and this woman overcome the frontier of solitude. It is not good for the man to be alone. The Holy Father does not in this passage of his presentation of man and woman, he created them a theology of the body, use the Latin phrase imagio dei, but he uses the English equivalent in this translation, image of God. The image of God, God who is one, and that's the original solitude. But God who is also a communion of persons, communio personarum, the Holy Father does use that phrase. And in the communion of persons, male and female, he created them. The image of God is also present. The Holy Father sees his work, these 133 talks, as not only a theology of the body, but a theology of masculinity and femininity. How does God understand us as male and female, as human beings, made to the image of God, made to know God and to love God? theology being the science of God. Masculinity and femininity expressing the twofold aspect of our somatic constitution. We are made up of body and soul. So much water, so much salt. There's a corporality to our being, but we're not just bodies. We have that principle of life within us, which is the soul. And the communio personarum is not merely the corporeal union, 
although that is a major part of it because the body expresses the person. Masculinity and femininity for Pope John Paul II expresses the twofold aspect of our somatic constitution. A man is a man, a woman is a woman, and there is a complementarity there. The Holy Father speaks to us not only of original unity and masculinity and femininity, the image of God, he speaks to us also again, as he has in so many of these presentations, he speaks to us about meaning, ontological, metaphysical meaning, and axiological meaning. This is his philosophical background. This is not just a purely theological work. It's not just a philosophical work. This is a work of a human being. John Paul II, Karl Wojtyla, reflecting on inspired words, words claimed to be inspired, which Christians and Jews believe to be inspired, what does it mean? Can we learn anything about ourself, about our very being, from these inspired words? The Holy Father thought so, and I think he was right. He speaks to us not only about these meanings, but the meaning of original solitude, the meaning of original unity, the meanings of the word community not being as precise as the meaning of communio, communio personarum. Words mean things. And we should mean what we say and do what we mean to do. The Holy Father reminds us of the meaning of our own body. If I say with my words, oh, it's so nice to see you, and I slap you in the face, there's a contradiction going on there. I say, it's so nice to see you, and I stretch out my hand to shake your hand. There seems to be a correspondence there. There are some who will say, our existence has no meaning. There are some who will say that our body has no meaning, nor anything we do with our body has any meaning. Pope John Paul II, Karol Wojtyla, was not that way. And Mother Church is not that way. And Jesus Christ is not that way. He who is the way, the truth, and the life, who says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything else is from the evil one, from the father of lies, the prince of darkness, Satan, the devil, Beelzebub. No greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. There we have, off the lips of the Savior, incarnation, a bodily expression of love. And he laid down his life for us on the cross in his saving death, the passion. And he rose victorious, triumphing over the cross, sin, death, the grave. And he rose in his body. Our Lord, risen and glorified, has his body still, in which he will never suffer, never die again. That is one of the qualities of a glorified body, impassibility. The Holy Father didn't go over that in this presentation, but perhaps later. Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, reminds us of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, flesh from my flesh. And in these sacred words, we are given a new consciousness of the meaning of one's body, flesh from my flesh. How many mothers in childbirth will recognize those same words? perhaps more obscure for the father, but Adam recognized his flesh in that of his bride. The Holy Father shows his ethical, moral background in speaking repeatedly of value. He cites Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 both. Value, something is worth 
something. Value something is good, something is evil. Value in a theological form, and man as a value. God saw all that he created, and it was good. Man is part of the good creation. Male and female, part of the good creation. There is value in all of this. Values not entirely subjective. Even if it is this subject or another subject who recognizes their own value, God too is a subject, a tripersonal subject, who can neither deceive nor be deceived, who recognizes the truth of the value whose judgment cannot be swayed. Inscribed experience in the original meaning of solitude. Who has not had an experience of solitude? This is an experience each of us has faced, even if not as stark as that of the first man on the face of the earth, but each of us lays our head on our pillow at night. We know the experience of solitude, but we're made not only for solitude, we're made for that communion of persons, mirroring God, who is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, he reminds us of the teaching of the Second Vatican Council's pastoral constitution on the Church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes, Article 12. Communion indicating the help that derives in some way from the very fact of existing as a person beside a person, a human person beside a human person, like the co-eternal persons of the Blessed Trinity, not existing beside each other, although in the Creed we do say the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, but this poetic language is speaking the truth about authority and power held in common by both the Father and the Son. This communion of persons, of which the Holy Father speaks, stresses the existence of the person for the person, one for another. And we'll see this in the vows of holy marriage, where there is the gift of self. The communio personarum is formed by man and woman. This is God's intention. When two men are friends, there can be a real communion of persons there. But the two do not become one flesh in that fruitful love which is proper to husband and wife. The communio personarum consists in reciprocal enrichment, not in lust, not in depravity, but mirroring the original holiness first given by God in the beginning. Pope John Paul II concludes this ninth presentation on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them, by speaking to us about the anthropological reality which has the name body. The Holy Father is showing us his realism here. There is a reality which people call the body. Anthropos, man. Anthropology, the science of man. What does it mean to be a human being? The Pope reminds us that the body reveals man. When I smile, please God, it means I'm happy. When I weep, it may well mean that I am sad, although there are tears of joy. So the context is very important. The body reveals man. And as the Holy Father turns our attention to ourselves, we who are made in the image of God, he reminds us also about consciousness and understanding, our ability to know, our ability to communicate what we know, the truth which sets us free, our ability to understand not only the world around us, but even ourselves to a real extent, to a certain extent, and even our ability to know 
and understand about God naturally and by grace and revelation supernaturally. These things all make up a part of the theology of the body. In our next program, we'll conclude John Paul II's presentation on flesh from my flesh and we'll begin and complete the unity of becoming one flesh. The context is part one, the words of Christ. Chapter one, Christ appeals to the beginning. What is meant by beginning? The meaning of original solitude, the meaning of original unity. That's where we are right now. Our next program will begin the meaning of original nakedness. In John Paul II's Man and Woman, he created them a theology of the body. Until next time, God bless you.